You're listening to audio recorded at Mount Air First Christian Church. For more resources or to contact us, look us up at www.mountairfirstchristianchurch.org. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The grass withers, the flower fades, and the word of our God stands forever. Can you know God's will? Can you know, honestly, can we know what God wants for us? And many people invest a whole lot of time trying to discern what God wants them to do. There are many publications. You could hop on Amazon. Not right now if you're live streaming. Stay with us. But you could when you get home or later. Hop on Amazon and go and look for any books on discerning God's will. And there are tons of them out there. I mean, and I, if you want to be brave enough just to go to Google and find all sorts of blog articles about how can we find out what God's will is. We all find ourselves torn between decisions and wondering what it is, asking, you know, what does God really want us to do? Can we know God's will? And I want to say definitively, yes, we can. But maybe not in the way that you want to know it. <laughs> maybe not in the way that you think we should. But yes, we most certainly can know God's will. Paul here, this opening of Colossians, he's, he's written, we covered for like for three weeks this this thankfulness, he's, he's thankful because of the love that they have for one another, the, the faith in Christ, love for one another because of the hope laid up for them in heaven. He's, he's thankful for them that they've heard this gospel message, the word of truth, and that it's bearing fruit and growing within them. So there's this long section there of thankfulness. And then he goes into this prayer. Now, there are lots of uh, prayers in Paul's epistles, and they're, they're great ones to pay attention to. I think that if the apostle Paul prays a certain way for his church, it's a good prayer for us to pick up. And so you can take these prayers in Colossians, Ephesians, various places that Paul prays for his church. You can take those prayers to yourself and pray them for those around you. And so Paul takes up and begins to write his prayer for them, right? He says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Well, oh, great, Paul. What are you praying? Well, he tells us, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. 
Now, think with me. Would Paul pray that they would have the knowledge of God's will if it is impossible for us to have the knowledge of God's will? Is Paul just intentionally praying an absurd prayer? You can't know God's will, but I'm going to pray that you know it anyway. No, obviously there is this knowledge. Clearly Paul is praying that they would increase in their knowledge of God and his will. And I say an increase because if you remember in the Thanksgiving section, they already have this knowledge, this understanding. Verse 6 says that, as it, the, the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So there is this knowledge of God that is currently among them, and yet he is praying that they would increase in their knowledge of him and the knowledge of God's will. So there's a, a current knowledge of God among them. They know God's will concerning the salvation of his people through faith in the work of Jesus Christ. You can know God's will absolutely at that level, that he sent Jesus to save sinners, that God's will is that men, sinners everywhere, men and women, those who are under his judgment, would look to Christ, repent of their sins, trust in him, and be saved. That, that, is, that is his will. That is what he has done. That has been his working. So they have an understanding of this will. And Paul is praying for continued understanding. Even to the point of understanding God's will for them. Can we, should we pray the same today? Should we pray, God help me to know your will? Yes, we should pray it. We should pray it, though, specifically, I think, as Paul prayed it. I, I'm, I'm saying, I'm being very loose with my language of talking about knowing God's will uh, because you can take that and, and have that mean, does God want me to wear the red shirt or the purple shirt this morning? And so I need to know God's will, and so I'm going to get down on my knees. And there are people, you can read accounts. I have read some of them. They're a little nutty. They're a little fruity. But uh, people who would, would labor over decisions like that on trying to discern God's will down to what time they should leave in the morning and all these sorts of the minutia, these details of their life, discerning God's will. That's not the way Paul is praying for them to know God's will. Paul, this is not a, his, his understanding of God's will isn't some magical or some sort of psychic understanding like you see in the movies where you have this precognitive, this premonition of, oh, God's will, he wants me to do this or that. That's not Paul's understanding of knowing God's will at all. Sometimes in, in popular Christianity and other religious mindsets, there is this idea of, of some special privilege of hearing directly from God exactly what I should do. Usually, you know, those people will have language sometimes, you know, God told me this, or um, God wants, I know God wants X, Y, Z. And usually when somebody says something like that to me, I know generally what they mean. They're just, that's the vocabulary they use. But it's, I want to be careful using language like that. When you say, God told me, or this is the way, this is what God specifically wants, that is, that is direct leading from God, has a very high value. We have a book of direct direction from God himself. And so when we start saying things like, God told me, or God's will is X, Y, and Z, and it isn't found here, 
there's a mindset that thinks, well, that, that couldn't, you know, get a pen and paper out or turn to the back page of your Bible and add it back here because when God speaks, God speaks perfectly. So I don't want to nitpick over that, but it's, it's something to be careful about. What does it mean when we say what we know God's will is? Paul wants us to pray that we would know God's will, and evidently, because we pray for it, we can know what God's will is. It is what is written, I would say, first and foremost, and Paul is going to pick up that argument in chapter 3. It is what is written down for us for our reading from God. But the, the book of Colossians there's this incredible insight into the reality of what is meant by knowing God's will for you. His will for you is to know and understand Him in truth, the heart of the gospel, and to walk in step with what you know. What is God's will? It is to know Him and to walk in step with what you know of Him. And you can see the flow of that reality we're going to go on here in chapter 1 to talk about the supremacy of Christ, his preeminence over all things, exists before everything else that existed and creates all things through him. And then he reconciles everything through his work on the cross. There's all this supremacy of Christ, this gospel reality. And then it moves into an understanding of what, how those realities play out in our lives. Pick up chapter 3 of the book of Colossians. It is this beautiful section of just practical, on-the-ground Christianity. It is, it is Paul has, is communicating that this right knowledge of God leads to righteous living for God. So he prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will for them. And what is that will? I keep kind of dancing around. What is that will? Can you know God's will? Yes, you can. What is that will? The Colossian church, Paul goes on. We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. What is God's will for your life? that you would walk in a manner worthy of him, fully pleasing to him in everything. This realization is huge for the Colossian church. It is central to our understanding of how God reveals his will to us. So often our desire to know God's will has much more to do with helping us to walk out a life that is pleasing to ourselves. God, help me discern your will so that I can make sure that I go the way that's going to be the most advantageous or the most pleasing to me. And not the question of, God, when I'm looking at these options, how do I go forward in a way that is most pleasing to you? So often our desire to know God's will is so that he will help us walk out a life that is fully pleasing to ourselves. We are fine with living, a life, living out a life that is worthy of the Lord, so long as that involves us doing exactly what we want and getting, getting exactly what we want. What is God's will for us, though? It is to live a life that honors Him and that is pleasing to Him. That means that when we are working to ascertain, to discern the will of God for our lives, the question that must rise to the surface of our searching is this question— what will most honor God? 
You want to know God's will for your life? Ask yourself this question. What will most honor God? Paul is praying that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will so that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Now, that is a revolutionary question. I mean, we can glance over it and fly on, fly on by it. But that is a revolutionary question to sit down at your decisions, to sit down at the things that are in front of you and ask first, not even what I want, not what I think is best, not what direction I want to go, but asking first, what will most honor God? What will be most fully pleasing to God? When you're on the job and you have a decision in front of you, asking the question, God, what will most honor you? When there's conflict in the office, when there's uh, you know, all sorts of difficulty going on, asking first and foremost, not what's most advantageous for me, when there's, when there's uh, work gossip going on, things like that, not asking how can I best leverage this for my own advantage, but asking what will most honor God? What's God's will in that, in that scenario for you? Living a life, walking in a manner that is worthy of him, fully pleasing to him. In a marriage, the most important question you can ask is, what here, how can I honor God? That is a tough question to ask in a marriage. Because when you're in that intimate relationship of one-on-one, all that interaction that you have, so often the fights devolve into, how can I make sure they see my point? Or how can I make sure that I get my way? Or, you know, we, when it comes to parenting, so much of the time, our, our children, we just want them to mind. And so the question isn't, how can I honor God? The question is, how can I get this kid to do what I want so that I don't have any more trouble? Instead of actually taking the time to walk out the will of God, asking, what will most honor you? When, when it comes to marriages, you know, you can, you can fix so much, I mean, kind of fix it, just with time and silence, like, you know, you just kind of go back to the same old way. Like, you know, you have a fight. <laughs> some of you are chuckling and laughing. Some of you are too afraid to, you're sitting by your spouse, so you don't want to admit it. That's all right. You know, that, you know, you just kind of go back to the way that it was. But in that, in that uh, solution, what's being asked and answered is what's the easiest for this marriage, not what will most honor God. And so you need to, you're looking at your spouse asking how can I placate them enough so that we don't get into another one of those fights and my life becomes uncomfortable? But asking the question, how can God be honored in this relationship? And that might mean hard work moving forward. That might mean difficult conversations. That might mean, mean things like repentance and forgiveness, which are not easy things, but they are the things that will honor God. What is God's will? Ask this question. What will most honor God? Between friends, with a checkbook, with your spending, do you ever, when you write a checkout, or you don't write checks anymore, you click buy now on Amazon, do you ever ask, what with this dollar will most honor God? What is good, does God, what's God's will for me in this situation? With your private time, with your leisure, with your vacation, what does God want me to do with this afternoon off? Do you ever just ask, is that your question? Or is it just, what do I want to do with my own time? Part of knowing God's will is asking, what will most honor God? And this is part of what it means to know the will of God. If you have an understanding of what the gospel of grace and truth declares to you, you realize that you are no longer your own. Your life has been wonderfully ransomed by the work of Christ on the cross. 
And as Paul beautifully writes here at the end of this section that we read this morning, we've been transferred out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his son. We are now citizens in God's kingdom of light. How else would we want to live than as representatives of this God who saves rebels? It's exactly because we know God's will for us in saving us through the work of Christ that we now strive to walk out a life that is worthy of him. That knowing the will of God, the grace that has come to you, the walking that out, then leads to greater knowing of God, greater experience of God, greater walking out, greater knowing of God, growing in Christ. One commentator writes this, he said, this kind of apostolic teaching that Paul is engaging in here, this kind of apostolic teaching always runs the risk of seeming pedestrian. And by that, you know, just kind of on the ground. I mean, we want to talk about the will of God, Darren. How can I know what God wants for me? And then Paul comes in and says, walk in a manner worthy of him, fully pleasing to him in everything. This guy's writing, he says, it can, it can always runs the risk of seeming just pedestrian. Well, that's not very exciting. That's kind of plain. But in Paul's gospel, continuing on with the commentary, but in Paul's gospel, the goal is no mystic, awe-inspiring apprehension of divine mysteries reserved for an elite. It is rather an intelligent grasp of what the will of God demands in daily living. As one puts it, in the instruction of primitive Christianity, understanding the will of God is always connected with the command to follow God's will and to do it. That there's always this understanding of a very much a just a, a, a walking out of the life that God has for you. It's why I mentioned chapter 3. I'm not going to take time this morning to read it, but I encourage you to, to get out the book of Colossians, four short chapters, easy to read, but there is some on-the-ground practical reality of what it means to live out the will of God. And Paul is praying they'd be filled with this knowledge of the will of God. What does that mean practically? Well, there's three things here in the text that it means. We're not doing them all this morning, so don't, don't freak out about that. But there's three, there are three um, ways, three consequences to knowing God's will in your life. And you can see them in the text. The first one is that you would bear fruit in, in every good work increasing in the knowledge of God. It is being strengthened with all power. That is next week, being strengthened with all power. And it is giving thanks to the Father. So there is this bearing fruit in every good work. There's this strengthening in all the mighty power of God. And then there is this giving thanks to the Father. Those three consequences to knowing God's will. You bear fruit in in every good work. You are strengthened with all power. And you are given thankfulness. So then what does it mean to bear fruit in every good work? Why would bearing fruit, I mean, why do you need prayer for that? Like, why would bearing fruit in our good works be difficult? Why is that something that needs to be prayed for? Well, it has to do with who is the recipient of your good works. If if you don't do good works for God, God doesn't need your good works, your neighbor does. And in fact, you could even say at times, it's your enemy 
that needs your good works. The reason why we need prayer to be strengthened with the knowledge of God's will so we bear fruit in every good work is because oftentimes those good works for the benefit of our neighbors and even our enemies are the things that are very difficult to do because of the audience of whom they are received by. They aren't done, these good deeds that are bearing fruit aren't done for payback you know, if someone's done something nice to you, so you do something nice back, that's not this good work that's bearing fruit. It's not this means of, of favor. You're trying to get people to be on your side. Good works are done for your neighbor, regardless of their ability to reciprocate the acts of love for them. Why is it hard to bear fruit there? Why do we need prayer to bear fruit there? Because that is personally costly. That is personally costly to bear fruit in, in every good work. Take, for instance, forgiveness. Forgiveness, bearing fruit in every good work. Forgiveness of wrongs done to you is the will of God for you. To forgive those who have, when we pray in the Lord's Prayer, right? Uh, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It is a righteous work. It is a good work of love towards others. But that means that that other person that needs your forgiveness has wronged you. So forgiveness is, of wrongs is, is a righteous act. As God in Christ has forgiven the Christian, so Christians turn and forgive those who wrong them. But this is not an easy thing to do, right? Because it does mean something costly. But what about, so we might be able to, okay, fine, I'll forgive. You ever come to this mindset, have this mindset? Fine, I forgive. I'll do it. But is that bearing fruit in every good work? Or is that just trying to like muscle up and go to white knuckle and I'm going to forgive? Is that doing this with a fruitful of joy, peace, patience, kindness? All of the, is there this joy and thanksgiving come out of, coming out of that forgiveness? No, it, it isn't. God's will for us is to bear fruit in these good works. And the only way for that to happen is to tie the gospel then into every one of these good works. The gospel is tied to every good work, both as motive or as the motor and as the message, bearing fruit in every good work. Paul's writing that we know the will of God, and one of those ways is that they would bear fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. The gospel is tied to every good work, either as the motor, both as the motor, and as the message. We do good because of the good that has been done to us, given freely by God's grace and mercy. Out of the joy and satisfaction that we have in the gospel, we are, motor, we are motivated, we are given the, the, the power, the motive to go and do good to those that don't deserve it, those who are uh, out away from us, we are, we are done, motivated to do good for them out of our own joy and satisfaction in the gospel. And it's also done for the spread of the gospel. That's one of its themes of bearing fruit. Because then as you, from the motive of the gospel, love and do good works for others, they end up maybe shocked. Why would you do this? Why are you at personal expense to yourself doing good for me? That's a great question we might say at that point. Let me tell you why. <laughs> We bear fruit in every good work. This also, this idea of knowing God's will is asking what will most honor him, it fills everything the Christian does with purpose and meaning. This is, this is really important. It fills everything we do with purpose and meaning. From the youngest to the oldest. If you're, if you're in grade school, 
or if you are retired and just living in the community, doing whatever you do in the community, and you're volunteering and whatever, and your involvement here in the church, all across the spectrum, this question makes everything the Christian does full of purpose and meaning. No act is now insignificant. No conversation is pointless. Your friendships at the elementary school are just as important as the friendships at the job site, are just as important as the friendships at the coffee shop, are just as important as the friendships wherever you are around this community. No conversation is pointless. No vocation is meaningless. You can even, dare I say it, walk out the will of God as a mailman. Chuckle a little bit at that if you want to. Those guys, they aren't worth it. What are they demon? But there's, there's no vocation that is meaningless because everyone is able to ask this question, what will most honor God right where I am, right where I'm at? Everything that you do with this reality of walking out the will of God, fully pleasing to him and everything, and, and it fills everything with purpose and meaning. No friendship is unimportant. Everything becomes this incredibly potential moment to honor God. This unique moment to be involved at a grassroots level with the working out of the will of God. This is what makes the gospel so unique. The knowledge that the world offers up of knowing the will of God. This idea of you're going to somehow uh, elevate yourself to some sort of a guru who can figure out the will of God. And aren't I amazing? Come to me, I'll tell you what God wants. That's kind of the, the enlightened spiritual guru, man on the mountaintop that everyone goes to so they can hear some special word from God. And the gospel comes and that, that, sort, of, that sort of mentality puffs up, brings conceit. Typically when someone comes into a higher level of knowledge, it tends to lead them to look down on others. Oh, you don't know the will of God? Well, I know the will of God. It tends to make them look down on others. But within the Christian gospel, what happens is exactly the opposite. Common One commentator says, special knowledge leads to conceit, whereas knowledge of God leads to love for others rather than for ourselves. When a sinner truly sees their helpless condition before a righteous and holy God, and then hears the message of their deliverance from what they deserve, getting mercy and grace instead, it doesn't puff them up with pride and, and independence that, and conceit as though I've got this figured out. It liberates them to turn and to extend the mercy to everyone. That they and, and anyone that they come in contact with, the same mercy that they have received. It fills everything with meaning that God would fill us with a knowledge of His will. Why? So that we might just walk in a manner worthy of Him. Can you know God's will for your life? Yeah. Walk in a manner worthy of Him, fully pleasing to Him in everything, asking God what would most honor you, and then in that liberty, making the decision. For whatever, whatever direction you are led, under the idea and under the, the overarching rubric of God, whatever honors you, that is what I want most. Do you want to know God's will for you? Grow in your knowledge of him and love for him. And let that then flow out of you both as the motor and as the message into the lives of those around you. Let's pray. Father, give us 
We pray, Father, that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual understanding and spiritual wisdom, that we would walk in a manner worthy of you, fully pleasing to you. Forgive us, God, of trying to make life out into these huge cataclysmic, thinking that that life is about these few mountaintop arena moments in our life when really it is this marathon of, of every day walking in a manner worthy of you, seeking to be pleasing to you in everything, laying our heads down on our pillows at night, and then waking up and walking in a manner that is worthy of you, fully pleasing to you in everything. Father, we want to know your will, that we would walk in it. So God, give us eyes to see it, ears to hear it. Repentant hearts, God, when we decide to live in a way that would please us and disregard the life that would please you. Help us, God, to repent, to turn from that self-interest, to trust in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, and then in embracing that gospel truth and joy, walk out into What's next in a manner that is worthy of you, seeking to be fully pleasing to you? As we take some time this morning, God, to focus on our Savior, his work on the cross, do that work in our hearts in this place this morning as we seek to remember him. Renew us in the gospel that we might walk in a manner worthy of you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.